Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is Tad Dickel. I'm here today with our guest, Perry Black. She's a CEO of Youth First and uh, would like to welcome you to the podcast. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, Perry. Well, thank you, Tad. I am the president CEO of Youth First, which is a an Evansville-based organization that is focused on strengthening the mental health and well-being of young people and their families. And my work is really about leading a team to deliver on our mission. It requires a lot of connecting the dots and connecting people uh, to the mission, and I enjoy it immensely. <laughs> sure. And and you've been at Youth First how many years now? I've been with Youth First 19 years. Okay. Before that, I was executive producer at WNIN Public Television and spent about five years producing public affairs programs, documentaries, political debates, um, whatever was lo- good local content for public television I was involved in. And um, that was the year we moved to Evansville, which was 1998 when I joined WNIN. Great. And so, so your background is primarily like in communications, broadcasting? That's right. I, I joke I have a checkered past. Um, I, I spent, uh, I went to school, studied uh, journalism at Northwestern University and uh, followed a path into television news as a producer for many years. But then I found my way onto the staff of a church and my church in Knoxville, Tennessee. I was a communications staff and also managed small group ministry. So I really kind of diverged a bit, but it was a wonderful experience. And then when we moved to Bowling Green, Ohio, I also went to work for my church as the children's ministry director, which was something that I thought was completely out of my league, but I ended up doing it for five years and also enjoyed it. It was a lot about coordinating volunteers and uh, empowering people to be the best they can be in ministry with kids. And then we moved here, and I thought, it's probably time for me to get back into uh, my career in television. So I did that. While I was working at WNIN, I learned about Youth First and Dr. Bill Wooten, who's the founder. And I reached out to him and asked if we could talk about possible partnership between public media and Youth First, which we did. And we partnered for a couple of years. And during that time, I got to know what Youth First was about even before Youth First had its first employees. So it was all volunteer-driven at that time. And then um, I had the opportunity to go to the University of Evansville and get a master's in public service administration. And about the time I was finishing that program, Youth First was looking for an executive director, and I applied for the position and decided it was time to to transition in April 2004. Awesome. So April 2004, let's do kind of a snapshot then in history. How many uh, employees, how big was the organization? What was the reach? 
Great question. So Youth First was founded in 1998, the year I moved to Evansville. We hired our first employees in 2002. And in 2004, when I joined the organization, we had nine Youth First social workers in schools in Vanderburg, Warwick, and Posey County. And we had five other staff. So a total staff of 14 doing uh, uh, prevention work in schools and in communities. And that Prevention work was uh, limited, I think, probably to 15 or 16 schools at that time in the EVSC, the Catholic Diocese, Wark County, and at the time, three school corporations in Posey County. So it was pretty modest. We had no fundraising staff. It was just me and an administrative assistant, and then everybody else was all about the programs and social work services. Right. So then we fast forward from about 16 staff, you said, total to today. Tell us about Youth First. Today, Youth First has 112 staff positions. 87 of them are master's level social workers who we consider prevention coaches for parents and teachers and specialized mentors for kids in schools. And then another um, seven or eight are program staff doing uh, taking care of our programs that are done after school or during the school day. So, yeah, we've grown quite a bit, and we have a fundraising staff of 10. Wow. So tremendous growth under your leadership. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's really we've grown organically. Uh, We've grown by word of mouth, and we've grown because the need has only risen um, for mental health supports and prevention programs for kids and families. So we're now in 13 counties and 117 schools. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because sometimes I see businesses that are started or nonprofits that are started, and they never take off. And one of the things that you see in the the difference when you when a business or a nonprofit really takes off is because they're really filling a need in, in that community. And so that growth that you've seen has really demonstrated there's a there's a need to provide services at school for for children to focus on mental health and prevention efforts. There is and our founder Dr. Wooten was a visionary in that way, he recognized as uh, the director of an addiction treatment center that he was seeing more and more kids at younger and younger ages with more complex problems. And he thought either our community wasn't doing enough prevention or we weren't doing the right kind of prevention. So he started re- researching evidence based practices. And this was in the 1990s. Those evidence based practices were evolving. But he really rallied the community to bring some of those programs to this community and to start implementing them. And from there, things really took off. We were developing our model as the needs were growing. And we started evaluating, seeing that we got measurable results. In other words, improvements. Kids and families were feeling stronger. They had greater hope, greater coping skills, more resiliency. And as those evaluations were shared with others, more people thought, we need this too. And so it just kind of grew from there. But the opioid crisis, COVID, pandemic, social media, all of those things have really escalated needs in the last 10 years. Sure. 
Tell us about your approach to leadership. Well, it's always evolving, (laughs) for one thing. I was new to nonprofit leadership when I took this role, so I had a lot to learn, a major learning curve. I think I was mentored by Dr. Wooten and other Youth First board members. They were fantastic in terms of their sharing their skills and knowledge and just being sounding boards for me. And I've learned a lot over the years from training opportunities. I used to think that I was really a servant leader, that servant leader model. I I felt that I would be willing to do anything that anyone else would do to advance the organization, to be a role model, to be part of a team. Team has always been extremely important to me. And over the years, I learned that actually to be effective in my role, I actually can't do everything. (laughs) And I can't be as much of a servant as perhaps I would like to be in my heart of hearts. But I really, as we grew, I really had to focus as much on the external audiences as the internal work was being very well led by other staff members. I think in my role, I had to get adjust to being an external representative of the organization because I'm I'm my tendency is to be about building team. <laughs> so be very internal focus. But I had to learn to let go and and to uh, allow others to grow in their leadership. And I think that's been a really significant learning experience for me to enable or empower others to be leaders, and then to allow myself to be led by others who are leading up. So in other words, I like to tell our team, make sure I'm staying on target with what you need and what will be help our organization and help you do your jobs well. So never hesitate to lead up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me what to do um, if if I need to be told. I'm I'm very open to that. So that's a long answer to your question. I think I've got a servant leadership part, but I've learned to be more practical with how I allocate my time for the good of the organization. Yeah, I can I can see, especially as the organization has grown, that you have to depend on others so much more, and so. It's not about how much work can you get done, but how much can get done through the organization and through the, the, the entire team. That's absolutely right. And over the years, our organization is restructured to meet our growth needs. And I think that's been very positive. It used to be, I, th- I feel like you have to be careful as the, the CEO of an organization not to cap your organization's potential. So a number of years ago, we developed a vice president tier of leadership, and we have three teams, a vice president of operations, vice president of program and services, and a vice president of philanthropy. And I think that just enabled us to do more and to deliver on on our mission, but also to grow and to scale. Um, We were getting a lot of requests to do more and to scale. And really, if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't have been able to do it. I mean, there's only so much capacity each person has. So we have to keep up with that growth by restructuring and rethinking how we do things. And I think that's one thing I admire about Youth First and our board. 
we're flexible organization and we adapt as needed to get the best results. Right. That's I think that's a good lesson for everybody to think about because it's easy for a leader often, especially in the CEO, executive director role, to almost get to a point where the organization plateaus because there just isn't enough capacity. And so in your tenure, it seems like there really hasn't been a plateau. It's just been sort of steady growth over the years. And um, it's interesting to look at how you use then some restructuring to empower other leaders and, and distribute more leadership. Absolutely. And I, you know, I don't think we're perfect at it. I think we have a lot to learn still and to develop in that arena. And Sometimes the growth has uh, been quicker than our development <laughs> as a as a leadership group and as a as a staff. We're always catching up to our growth. <laughs> we're definitely not ahead of it, which would be a nice place to be. We're doing our best. One of the books I've enjoyed recently is John Cotter's book on, called Change, and one of his chapters is titled "More Leadership from More People." And what he says, like in today's fast-moving society and with the need for organizations to constantly adapt, the way they can adapt is by really creating more leaders and having more people leading because we can't as organizations just wait for the, the leader to tell us what to do. And we have to figure out how to empower multiple levels of leadership to ensure that the organization responds and adapts. That's absolutely right. And, you know, only about less than 20% of our staff actually are housed in our headquarters office in Evansville. Most of our staff are deployed in schools and in other communities, and they have to be leaders to do their jobs well. Absolutely, as do our, our folks closer to home. But we have a strong commitment to professional development as an organization. We have a budget that allows for professional development expenditures across our team. And we spend a lot of time with in our social work staff with clinical supervision, which is basically coaching and, and help and supporting our team. You have to invest in those areas too to build that leadership capacity. Absolutely. Great. How would you describe the culture at Youth First? Mm. Well, in our best, in, in the best of times, we live out our values, which we call CARE, which stands for compassion, accountability, relationships, and empowerment. So I would describe the culture as a caring culture. I would say that we're stressed sometimes, in, <laughs> it, like most workplaces. Um, sometimes the stress gets the best of in any group or any team, but we really try to focus on not only being caring toward the people we serve, but being caring toward one another and building our, our compassion, building our accountability, our relationships, and, and our empowerment, much in line with what we've just been talking about in terms of leadership, just all growing in those areas. Your organization's focused on mental health and primarily delivers that through schools. How do you focus on that 
for your employees mm-hmm. because I, I'm sure that they deal with a lot of stressful situations that they're they're helping faculty and staff and parents and students during some of their most difficult times. So what do you do and do you have advice for other organizations that that try to figure out how they take care of their people better? Sure. Well, our people on the front lines are definitely dealing with um, some of the most stressful situations you can imagine, uh, life-threatening situations. They're wonderful professionals. They're licensed clinical social workers and, and licensed social workers. They have a great backup in terms of their supervisors, so they're not flying solo, um, which is very important in the midst of a crisis, a suicidal situation, and so on. But they need to be refueled in between <laughs> those hard times. And uh, we do prioritize retreat days with our team where we're, they're learning skills to for self-care and stress reduction. And not only are they learning those skills and hopefully practicing them, but they're sharing them with their schools and with the faculty at their schools. We recently made a counseling service available to our team. It's very hard for individuals who are in the counseling field to seek a provider that they know and people know each other <laughs> in that circle. So, so they have access to a provider that they can use as needed for their needs or their family's needs. And I think that's really important. We build relationships, really. And I think we just have to work really hard at practicing what we preach. What we share and teach with kids and parents are the things we also need to do in our work environments and as professionals and adults. And um, it's not always easy, but, you know, we need to do some of the basic things like taking some deep breaths (laughs) before we respond or allowing ourselves some time to decompress and re-energize, finding things that bring us joy. Mm-hmm. Um, really like to encourage creativity where that brings people joy, encourage journaling, gardening, mm-hmm. spending quality time with grandchildren, <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah, it's just trying to keep that top of mind during the year and staying in touch with people who may be going through some difficult times and trying to be supportive. Sure. Great. I think that's all good advice, and we need to, as leaders, think about people's lives outside of work and, and and life inside work and how we can better support and take care of them. Absolutely. And, you know, in this day and age, we're all talking about the talent pipeline and how hard it is to recruit and retain talent. It's certainly the case in the mental health field. And we want to keep excellent people, and we want them to be able to feel productive and successful in their jobs. And if there's things that are getting in the way and the employer can support a positive change, I think we want to do that. We can't do everything, but, you know, we're going to do what we can. Sure. One question I had, too, was was thinking about your role. And is it correct that you were the first CEO president, like full-time Actually, uh, there was a predecessor who was an executive 
director for for about a year and a half. Okay. That was the first. So I was technically the second. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you've you've maintained a close relationship with the founder, Dr. Wooten, who's stayed involved. Tell me about that relationship because I think it's wonderful that the organization has had that continuity, but it can also be a challenging dynamic to have a founder around that ha- maybe had certain ideas for the organization. Well, <laughs> yes, he he is very invested in Youth First. He's he's always been a donor, a volunteer, and a supporter. Uh, never took a penny. Was never on staff, but he's very invested. We are. Youth First is his child, so to speak. We, we he he raised us, and we're very grateful for that. He is a we in many many ways. Youth First has his DNA. Mm-hmm. He's a passionate person, a persistent person, a never give up person, a high energy person. All of those things you can see in the organization. And I've learned a lot from him. And, of course, he is is the expert when it comes to mental health, medical care, addictions, and so on. He and I have probably disagreed from time to time mm-hmm. <laughs> about where to go or what direction, to what next step to take. And we've always had, I think, really great conversations around that. And I've felt very supported. He's, he was uh, the chair of the board for the first eight years of the organization, but we recognized we needed to build sustainability with future chairs. So we began having a rotation of chairs and leadership. And then a number of years ago, Bill decided he needed to roll off the board, which I think was very healthy for the organization too. And so he's no longer on the board, although we call him board uh, chair emeritus, and that means he can share his opinions, but he can't vote, <laughs> <laughs> which he jokes a lot about. But we welcome him at meetings, and he's still very engaged um, to helping strengthen the organization. So, yeah, you know, founders and staff, leadership staff, always have kind of a delicate dance, have to learn their roles and 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 the right boundaries, but also appreciate one another, appreciate what they bring to the table. And I, there's a deep appreciation I feel between Bill and me, and I think the rest of the board feels empowered to be leaders as well. And it's not, it's not just Bill's vision anymore. It's it's the vision of a lot of people to carry out. Sure, that's great. Well. I think as you that's probably a, a great descriptor. It's a delicate dance, but there's always something about a founder who has such a passion and is able to be the catalyst for creating something. And so I think one of the, the neat things is that sometimes a founder moves away either, you know, through death or they they decide they want to retire or roll off the board or whatever, and the organization just collapses. And so one one of the things that I think is impressive about Youth First is that while he has stayed involved, the organization has just continued to grow. And even him leaving the board, it hasn't had a, a noticeable negative effect or anything like that. So it it's allowed, it, it shows you that the board, the the organization is really set up 
to be sustainable long term. And that's probably one of the the most exciting parts for him. I think so. And it's been very intentional. Now, over the years, we've had many conversations about it. The board's had conversations about it. Bill has uh, talked about, you know, what's the next best time to do this or that or the other. And so I think the intentionality of it has been super important. And I do also feel like, especially in the early years, Bill and I had very complementary skills Mm -hmm. and gifts that we could contribute to the organization. And I think that partnership worked really well. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the importance of having intentional conversations, like in terms of succession. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us to, to reflect on. Because so often we don't have those conversations because they might be uncomfortable. We we don't want to ask somebody, when are you thinking of retiring or, or leaving or what is your exit strategy? But if we care about the organization, we should feel compelled to have those conversations. And most of the time we're, we're all thinking these things. We just need to say it out loud. And if we can do this in a respectful manner, then, then I think we can have these these planning processes that result in really a a fruitful effort where there's a very smooth transition. And I think that's, that's really exciting. I see, unfortunately, many companies and nonprofits that don't have those conversations. And then when somebody leaves, all of a sudden it's a surprise and there are consequences for the organization as a result. You're absolutely right. And I appreciate you bringing that up. I am amazed that you first went for so many years without having a succession plan for the CEO, <laughs> but we did. It just wasn't top of mind. And a few years ago, we have some very smart people on our board of directors. They're just business savvy and strategic, and they only want the best uh, for the organization. And they said, hey, we've got to get a succession plan in place. So we spent a couple of years building our first our emergency succession plan and then our planned succession plan uh, where the CEO has got a planned departure. Uh, That was very significant work for the organization and quite a few uh, board members and former board members actually put time and talent into that development of that plan. And it feels really good, especially for somebody like me who's had a long tenure in this seat. Um, I only want the best for the organization when it's my time to move on. And I want to be able to leave it in the best possible place. So that wisdom was greatly appreciated. And, and now we do have some documentation to follow when the time comes. I'm sure it'll still be a challenge, but at least we have a plan. Right. And there's there's ego that we all have as a leader sometimes where, you know, we think, how could this organization survive without me? But in the end, we should think, what is this organization going to be look like when I leave? And if the organization can be successful when I'm not there, that is probably the the true sign that what I did as a leader was effective. I I also liked how you talked about two types of succession planning. So there's sort of the unplanned succession planning, which is more emergency 
departures or unexpected. Somebody all of a sudden has to move out of the area and you have to figure out how to pick up and not lose a beat. Or maybe somebody's hospitalized and you need key information. I, I remember in one one previous role I had, we realized that only one person knew how to run payroll. <laughs> and so you think, well, what happens if this person all of a sudden is unable to fill, fulfill that role that day? That has terrible negative consequence for a lot of people. And then you also talk then about that plan. So like often thinking many years out, what is my exit strategy? How much longer do I plan to stay in the organization? Who in the organization might move into those types of roles? Are there certain responsibilities, skill sets that we should be looking for now as we think about uh, that next leader in the organization or next level of leadership? Because one thing we can do as leaders too is we hire people not just for the skills that are needed in maybe an open position, but to look at for the skills that are needed in another level of leadership. And does this person potentially have the ability to do this role well, but also be developed into a a role at another level in the organization? That's right. And nonprofits don't often have the luxury of having that deep of a bench. Right. And it's very helpful, of course, but you you can't always staff that deep. But you always you still need to think like that mm-hmm. as deep as you can and to allow people to grow into new roles. I will say the greatest joy I have is seeing how this organization functions well without me. And I have kind of in 19 years of being here, I can see that now. It's not all on my shoulders. Uh, not that it really ever was, but you just you just see how well things are going, and it's a great joy for me. I I do take pride in that. Actually, I don't mm-hmm. feel I don't have a lot of concern about what youth first can be like when I leave. I see great work being done by wonderful, passionate people who are very accomplished and they're doing amazing work. So that that feels great. That's awesome. What would you say then as as you've considered growth? Was there a vision for th- for the growth or has it just kind of come organically as new opportunities and schools have popped up? Tell us a little bit about just that kind of vision and strategy for growing as an organization. I think we've talked about it ever since I joined Youth First in 2004. It's always top of mind. It's part of the, maybe the DNA again of the organization. We had board retreats and strategic meetings that were very focused on how do we want to grow? When do we want to grow? Where do we want to grow? That conversation has just been continuous, so it's definitely an organization that has been focused on growth because we knew we had a good thing and a mission that would matter, and we could help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that commitment from the at the board level was huge from the beginning, and I'll never forget one of our board retreats where we just got down to brass tacks and said, where do we want to grow? 
we decided we were going to focus on the southwest quadrant of Indiana. That's where our focus should be. And then we decided that we wanted to be pulled, not push, into communities and schools. So we wanted readiness on the part of the schools that wanted us. In the beginning, when youth first started, we were knocking on doors. Even before my time, Bill was eyeing doors and saying, I think youth first has something that could help. And it took some convincing. At the time, schools weren't as used to having a a community partner in their buildings doing this kind of work. But over time, we we just had a philosophy of we want to be pulled. We want schools and communities to be ready for us. We don't want to have to convince them that they need us or that there's a problem even. Uh, so having those kind of partnerships where everybody's kind of on the same page and they know that what we can do in, in support of their students and families would be beneficial. So we had those very strategic conversations at that board retreat, and several years later, it was happening. So it's sort of like you have to state, <laughs> you have to state your intentions. Again, it's being intentional. You know, we talked about could we grow to Illinois or to Kentucky or where we had to make some decisions about that and the complexities of growing to in different states were things we weren't ready to tackle at the time. Well, the interesting thing to me is when I-69 opened and began to connect us to Indianapolis, lo and behold, Youth First started growing up I-69. I know a lot of people see that as a corridor for economic development, and it was a corridor for nonprofit development as well. Uh, Schools and superintendents talk to each other and recognize that, oh, they have this partnership with Youth First. We could benefit from that, too. And it's been very interesting. Fifteen years ago, I would have expected us to grow east uh, along 64, but we have grown some east, as far east as Paoli and uh, Perry County, but we've grown up to Martinsville and Mooresville on the doorstep of Indy and all along that I-69 corridor. Yeah, it's almost like you've, I like that idea of pushing versus pulling. And so you, instead of having to feel like you're cold calling schools and asking them if they want your services, they're, they're really coming to you. And I think that has to do with providing great value and providing great service and create what what we sometimes consider like these these super fans or people that really are talking about us in the community and any business any organization really their goal should be to have so many supporters that they have these like raving fans that are out there talking about uh youth first and so f- for you I mean that just shows that what you're doing is valued and appreciated and that more people want what you provide. One of the things you said earlier was about your role now being more external than it has been. Tell me about how you exercise leadership then externally or like in the the communities that Youth First serves in. Well, I think we need to be represented around a number of tables where 
future forward thinking work is being done around mental health and just the future of our community or communities. So I want to be represent kids and families and mental health and youth first in all the ways that I can uh, in, in, in front of as many stakeholders as I can. Some of them are going to be very important for the future of the organization when it comes to donating and supporting financially. Some of them are going to be very important to the organization when it comes to partnerships and strategic projects in the community. So I think that's an important part of this role is to represent youth first best interests and even more importantly, the best interests of kids and families in our community. Right. And in the nonprofit world, that role as advocate for the organization and the causes that you represent is sometimes underestimated by by some leaders. Absolutely. I'm sure it's been underestimated by me over the years. When I joined this organization, I thought, I'm going to help kids and families. I'm so excited <laughs> right. to be able to help kids and families. But I quickly learned that actually I needed to help the staff first. We were a young organization with no benefits, no sustainability plan. Year to year, people were wondering if they were going to have jobs. I realized I actually my job was to help the staff first be able to build a sustainable model of prevention and early intervention. And then I needed to tell our story to as many people as I could and invite their support, engagement, partnership. And now with the tenure that I have, I believe I just have the tenure and perhaps the confidence to be able to make sure the future of Youth First is in good hands and is stable and we're contributing to the needs of our community and our kids. That's great. Thank you. Have there been any setbacks that have defined you as a leader or have you've experienced in your leadership path that, you know, you, you remember that you'd want to share? You know, I can't, I'm trying to think what, I don't often reflect on setbacks. <laughs> May, and maybe I don't call them setbacks, but sure. I mean, I've, I've learned from a lot of different experiences, wins and losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say one of the interesting things I've learned over the years, and again, I credit Youth First Board of Directors and the wisdom there, is that you have to take some risk to see some benefit. And I think nonprofits often have a more conservative approach, but because we had these entrepreneurial people on our board, they said, no, no, we should step forward and make this higher because that Higher is going to lead to greater revenue, which is going to lead to growth, which is going to allow us to serve more kids and families. So I think I've I've learned about risk-taking and kind of felt more comfortable with it over the years. And then when the Welburn Baptist Foundation was significant in the creation of Youth First, it was 
the first funder when Dr. Wooten started the, organiza- started the organization. It was the consistent funder for many years. And then when they let us know about 2017 or so that they were going to step back from funding New Thirst because they felt like, you know, we were ready to be to leave the nest, so to speak. They were our parental provider for many years and and allowed us to grow. So that was scary at first because they really represented a good 20 to 20% of our our revenue. And to imagine, okay, how are we going to replace this revenue? And it was it was a challenge. But then we we accepted that challenge with gusto, like this organization <laughs> often does. And I guess, well, we we've actually got to hire some more fundraisers. And we've got to rearrange a little bit about how we do our approach to fundraising mm-hmm. because we can't rely on just one funder for 20% of our income. And so we had to get more diverse in our uh, fundraising strategies and approach. And I guess that's kind of how I view setbacks. Actually, setbacks in my life have been opportunities to Mm -hmm. get better. Sure. And do better. Yeah, that's a great, it shows your mindset that you're very optimistic about the future. And, And sometimes we view challenges as unsurmountable or in a negative light, but if we view them as opportunities to grow and and change and improve, then I think that affects how we approach that challenge or that setback. Absolutely. And of course, I've learned that all from experience. It wasn't (laughs) like I I knew that from the beginning. And so at at this age, I I can definitely say that setbacks are opportunities. Right. Very good. What would you say you're most proud of as a leader? I hope I'm an example as a leader to others uh, that you want to be in a position to use your gifts and talents to the fullest. I'm a very strengths-focused person, and I I know what my gifts and talents and strengths are, and I know when I'm really using them to their fullest, how much joy that brings me. And that's what I would hope I'm encouraging others as a leader to do. I recognize that some people will need to leave youth first to find that next opportunity and challenge to fully use their gifts and talents. And I want to bless that that move. I want to feel good about that for them, but I hope there are others who will find that this is the place they want to be and to really fully embrace the work and how they were made for a time such as this. Mm-hmm. And we often use that passage from the book of Esther in, in the Old Testament that talks about she was prepared, made, created in the position to address the challenge that was facing her. I feel like Youth First was made for a time such as this, and each individual is called to a role and a purpose. I feel that I was called and to this role and purpose, and I want everybody to feel that way. Yeah, and that's that's I think a power that we have in leadership is to 
help people find their purpose and to see the the great purpose and the work that they do because we all spend so much time you know in our in our lives but like do at the end of the day is what we do does it matter and i think trying to find ways for people to use their strengths to do work that matters is is one of the gifts that we can provide for people as leaders i couldn't agree more what are you excited about right now? Could be in the community or could be Youth First or? You know what I'm excited about? I'm excited that mental health no longer carries the stigma it did when I first started with this organization. I'm excited that young people recognize that they have resources and powerful relationships that they can tap to strengthen their mental health and to support them through a crisis. I just think things have changed in a very positive way in that arena. Perhaps adults still carry some of the stigma, maybe a little more than kids, but we're, we're the culture has changed. And I think that's a very positive thing. And that's why I feel so hopeful about the future. Now, right in, in this current climate, we are in a youth mental health crisis, as the Surgeon General says, and we're seeing it in a lot of different ways. Unfortunately, too many kids uh, having suicidal thoughts, deep depression, anxiety, uh, stress, but we have ways to address it, and we know the things that work, and we just need to be able to scale them, and we need the support to be able to scale them. And I guess that's why I'm excited because I believe there's a really a, a will and a desire to address these issues in a very positive way. Right. And I, I completely agree. I think that stigma associated with mental health, we recognize that mental health is just as important or not more important than physical health. And so I think people are more open to asking for help to realize there's nothing wrong with you if you ask for help. It's just like going to a doctor or something like that. It, it, it's a shift, I think, in the way like our society thinks about this. So, so I think it is, it is hopeful. How can people find out more about Youth First or you? Well, you can certainly visit our website, youthfirstinc.org. You can follow us on social media, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I think, although I'm not active on all of those. And you're welcome to call me as well at Youth First, and you can find that phone number online as to reach me. I'm happy to hear from people and happy to tell more or share more about Youth First. Well, thank you, Perry, for being with us today. And I want to say, too, personally, that in my background, as a school administrator, I've seen the benefits of having a youth-first social worker and uh, have seen many kids and families and faculty and staff helped during some really challenging times, but also that they've benefited from uh, some of the prevention efforts that you do, that it's not just about reacting. It's about trying to prevent and be proactive. And I've also seen my, as a father of four, seen my children benefit. So I want to thank you for the good work that you do in our community. 
And I want to thank you for being on our uh, Leadership and pod, uh, Strategy podcast today. Thanks so much for the conversation. I might have learned a thing or two about myself through your questions as well. Um, but appreciate all the support you've given Youth First over the years. All right. Thank you, Perry. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us.